Hey, everybody. This is Charles Warner. I'm the editor-in-chief with Cannabis and Tech Today. Thank you for joining us here at Emerge. We have a very special guest today. I'm very excited to speak with Montel Williams. He is, uh, you've probably all heard of him. Uh, you've seen him around. He is a television personality, a military veteran, an MS survivor, and one of the original OG communicators for cannabis on the front line. Uh, welcome, Montel. It's a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks so much for having me, sir. Um, so let me ask you, what's, uh, it's been a crazy year, the past year. It seems like we're, we're kind of coming out of the other end from the pandemic. Um, you've been uh, uh, seen at a lot of cannabis events. What's kind of your takeaway right now as far as, um, you know, the events opening back up and getting back out there and just, just kind of what are your thoughts on where the state of the state is right now? Wow, that's a that's a that's a, a that could be an hour long answer to a question. <laughs> we have so many states of state that are going on, you know. Um, let's just hope that we focus first on the impending pandemic. And mm -hmm. you know, though a lot of people wish that it was over, it clearly isn't over. I'm coming to you from Miami, and you know, I don't know if you know, you've read the news and seen the the highlights from this past weekend, but you know, there was a state of emergency declared down here because. There were so many people who were so anxious to leave COVID behind that they had decided to leave all mitigation techniques behind and, you know, be disorderly and ridiculous in their presence here in the Miami area, enough to push most of our residents back indoors to hunker down because of fear for being around people who are getting ready to spread, you know, these ridiculous variants. So, you know, as much as I am excited that uh, the industry is ready to reopen in some ways and get back to the, the mission at hand. And that is, you know, working as hard as we can to get, you know, the nation to recognize the efficaciousness of cannabis as a plant-based medicine. I'm also a little anxious and a little anxiety ridden over the idea of some who don't understand the importance of still staying the course and trying to bring the skirts to an end. So, you know, you ask a, a pretty broad question. Um, there are all kinds of places we can go as an answer. One, you know, I believe that this industry should be extremely proud of the fact that over the course of the last year, we have been probably the only, um, you know, uh, uh, recession-proof industry in the country. Um, there are several places, if you looked at the Leafly's, you know, recent article talking about what has happened uh, to this industry when it comes to job growth and other things, and also to, you know, profit growth, growth, uh, the industry has done an incredible job. Uh, there are some states now that have more employees in cannabis than they do have police officers. So we recognize that the industry has done a big job. And, you know, the public has recognized that the industry is doing a good job because, you know, we've got a lot more consumers showing up and buying and purchasing larger amounts each time they make a purchase. So the industry should be happy about that. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, we have failed to lead the charge, I think, over the course of the last year um, and educating the public, not the politicians, not the B2B, but educating the public as to how efficacious, 
you know, uh, cannabis can be even in their battle when it comes to COVID. I mean, there's been a couple of peer-reviewed studies that have been put out lately that talk about the anti-inflammatory effect of certain cannabinoids and flavonoids when it comes to infections of the lung. And even in the midst of COVID, you know, um, we're now finding that consuming cannabis can be in some ways a neuroprotectant. And I know all of your listeners are going to go, oh, my God, you didn't say that. Yes, I did say that. <laughs> the fact of the matter is that, you know, the research has been available for now well over 30 years that has proven the fact that cannabis for 20 years, the cannabis can be a neuroprotectant, especially in the lung tissue. And there should be more research done that way. I'm heartened by the fact that, you know, recently, um, you know, an organization out of Southern California was just approved by the IRB to conduct a, you know, a full observational study when it comes to cannabis as a frontline of defense for PTSD. Um, and, you know, though one of the recent studies that has come back hasn't shown, you know, as broad a, um, uh, scale of efficaciousness as we'd like it to show, but that's because they ended up using a study using cannabis grown by Uncle Sam out of University of Mississippi, and we know what that trash is. So, <laughs> you know, I think I'm heartened by the industry, but at the same time, I'm a little disappointed in the industry because, you know, we continue to focus more, I believe, on the B2B aspect of this than the B2C aspect of this, which is the, B, the business to consumer aspect of ensuring that we educate those who are potential customers and bring them along with us as we, you know, make the strides that we make. I don't know if I answered that whole question. <laughs> yeah, no, you nailed it. And I and I love the fact that you're right. We we've kind of got to see the industry sort of earn its stripes, you know, kind of, kind of grow up during this pandemic. Um, I remember at the beginning of it, there were, uh, you know, labs that volunteered to help do testing. There was, you know, uh, places that were making hand sanitizer, you know, it was, it was, and then of course, cannabis became uh, essential in a lot of these, uh, a lot of these states. So you're right. I mean, it's been amazing to see, could you imagine this? Like, you know, 10, 20 years ago. I mean, imagine it's 12 years ago. I mean, let's, or, you know, or five years ago. Yeah. Let's, let's just make sure we understand that, you know, again, I believe that almost every single state that has a medical cannabis program considered cannabis an essential service. Mm -hmm. And that's a government that stepped up and said that we believe that this is an essential service. Um, yet we have a government that, uh, you know, a newly elected you know, administration that talked a lot of smack about a year ago, trying to impress people to make sure that they earn their vote talking about how the fact that we were going to have some legislation come down the pike in the first hundred days, but haven't we hit that hundred days now? Mm. And I haven't seen any legislation come out of this administration yet. And, you know, remember, we still have an administration who's led by someone who still believes that cannabis is a gateway drug. Let's calm down here. There's yeah. a lot of work that needs to be done. Yeah. There's a lot of effort that needs to be done. And I believe that if the cannabis industry led the charge the way we should be, and again, that education from B to C, Mm -hmm. We have more troops out there on the front line demanding that the politicians do the right thing. And, and if you don't mind, I'd like to talk about uh, veterans and cannabis. It's kind of a, it's an area that's sort of near and dear to me. We've had some guests on the past, you know, worked with Veterans Cannabis Coalition and some other organizations. It seems shocking to me that 
Um, there's definitely, it's, it's pretty clear that there's medical benefits. There's, there's things that, that cannabis can help with um, for some of the, the issues that veterans are facing right now. And, you know, can, can you just speak to the fact that it's not readily available to all veterans or maybe, you know, how it, how it could be helping? Because it seems like one of the biggest no-brainers ever, you know, to allow veterans access. Well, you know, let's let's remember, you know, we are still living in a time where we have the head of the, you know, the person who's a commander in chief who believes that cannabis is a gateway drug. Excuse me. I mean, let's get real here for a minute and recognize that over the course of the last 10 years, let's say, let's look at the last 10 years of the movement in the cannabis industry. You know, though I won't cast an aspersion, I will say that greater efforts could have been made by those who were trying to improve their bottom line by doing more studies, even if those studies were done overseas mm -hmm. and in other countries. You know, we have a lot of investors and a lot of investment money coming in from overseas, you know, that is sparking this boon in the stock market with several of the leading companies. But how many of them have published any peer-reviewed documents in the last year talking about the efficaciousness of cannabis when it comes to PTSD or pain or, you know, a myriad of other ailments that our veterans suffer from. So I should say that, you know, I have been involved in the cannabis space. I think a lot of people who are, are watching this interview know that I've been involved in this cannabis space now for close to 20 years, long before it was Vogue. I was left out there on the street pretty much sometimes by myself you know, um, um, being beat up quite handily back in early 2001, 2002, uh, without a lot of the industry coming back in to try to protect me, you know, when I was going around the country trying to ensure, you know, access for patients for efficacious medication all over the country from Colorado to, you know, I, I hosted, uh, you know, a, 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 a debate among uh, mayoral candidates back in 2001 in, uh, in Colorado uh, over, uh, you know, one of the initial Colorado uh, cannabis bills. And I participated in, you know, testifying before Congress in, uh, the, in New Jersey and in New York and in Pennsylvania and in Florida and in or California and in front of uh, Missouri and several, Pennsylvania, several other states, Maryland. Um, and my objective even back then, 20 years ago, was to ensure that this medication, which we've now proven through our own dollars spent by the federal government in researching cannabis overseas, mm -hmm. researching cannabis in places like Israel, where we confirmed back in 2001 that cannabis was an efficacious, you know, plant-based medicine for PTSD back then when the Israeli military first wrote about it. So I have been an advocate for our veterans uh, since the day I took my uniform off officially. I really never took it off. Mm -hmm. And feel very strongly that, you know, yes, in fact, we hope that, you know, the country opens up its eyes and allows for adult use across the board. But what we should do before we do anything is take the patients off the battlefield. Yeah. We should have been working since day one to ensure if this even gave some of our veterans one or 2% of a foot forward over their, you know, struggles, 
this is something that we should have done day one. I mean, you know, these are the people who we remember, and most people don't understand that, you know, less than 1% of this country puts a uniform on back to support and defend the democracy for all. And could we not show that gratitude by just ensuring that they came first? We didn't. Yeah. So now we're here 20 years later, 20 years after the U.S. government gave itself its own patent for CBD, 30 years after the U.S. government funded research in Israel, 40 years after, 50 years after the U.S. government funded research out of the University of Mississippi, we're still questioning 50 years later whether or not all the anecdotal information that's been heard for 50 years, any of it is true. I, I, I mean, I just find that appalling and find that ridiculous and find that as asinine as asinine could be. So I don't know if a lot of your viewers understand that there is this tacit understanding in the VA that any veteran who lives in a state where it has a legal medical program, they will not be denied their veteran benefits if in fact they test positive for cannabis if they have a medical card from a state that they live in. Mm -hmm. But that also leaves a lot of our veterans who don't live in those states out on the lurch. Yeah. And though we just passed a farm bill that allows for CBD to be commercially used on an interstate basis, we aren't even scratching the surface of the viability of all of the other cannabinoids, including THC and THCA and CBG and CBAD, uh, CBC, all the anti-inflammatories, all the anti, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, oxidative uh, components that we have from terpenes and other things in the plant that could be of real good use to our vets. So, you know, I would wish that hope that over the course of the next year, as we come out of this one pandemic and we get ready to go into another pandemic of mental health issues in America, not just for our veterans, but for our frontline workers and for, you know, the masses of people who have been hunkered down and, and, and isolated. Yeah. I think as we start to look at this as a group, we're going to be looking at, you know, probably 30% of the U S population that should probably be using cannabis on a daily basis. Anyway, this could help us, especially when we're arguing about, you know, the rising cost and the extreme cost of healthcare in America and the rising cost for, you know, psychological care in America, this is something that could be a front line of defense if we were to do and apply and put the amount of money in that needs to go in there to do the research and start getting some of these peer reviewed documents printed and shoved in the faces of our politicians. Yeah, there's so much stigma that has been built up for so long. It seems like we're, you know, we're, we're still battling that battle of uh, for, you know, the plant has been demonized for so long. It takes a while, you know, but it's like you said, it's that B2C campaign where there's a lot of people that it could do a lot of good for if we can just get over that hump, you know, of the of the stigma that, you know, cannabis is, you know, just as bad as everything else out there. It's a, it's a think real about, battle. Think about the fact that every day when you turn on your television, you are inundated at least 20 times a day with ads from some varied pharmaceutical company trying to sell you a drug that's not made it into the mainstream yet. And what does a pharmaceutical company do? They 
make sure that they let the consumer know that there's a product available. Then the consumer goes to the doctor and says, what about X, Y, Z? Then the doctor prescribes it. Then the doctor gets a kickback. You know, why can't we, I don't care if we kick back doctors from, from cannabis, but the bottom line is, you know, we're not even allowed to talk about it, which is yeah. really ignorant, you know, and, and though we are allowed to talk about it in some ways, if we talk about it from a educational standpoint, there needs to be more education coming out of this industry on a daily basis, inundating the consumer. So the consumer goes, hmm, I didn't know that, goes down and asks their doctor and the doctor goes, hmm, I didn't know that, read, learn, you know, do a, a CMA, you know, continuing medical education course so that you learn. I mean, most doctors right, these days are just now starting to stumble on the fact that we have an endocannabinoid system, something that science has known about for over 30 years. Yeah. There's nurses that don't know anything about cannabis. And, you know, like you said, doctors, if they're in states that are not, you know, kind of down with, with cannabis, they, they really, I'm surprised at how little knowledge is available to them. So you're right. We have to, we have to educate the masses and, you know, let them know about these benefits. Absolutely. Um, what was it that brought you out uh, so early, you know, in the game and, and so outspoken about cannabis? Was it your, you know, you were diagnosed with MS? Was it that? Was own, it was my own personal journey with MS. I mean, I literally, you know, back in 2000, 2000, when I was actually officially diagnosed, mm -hmm. you know, I immediately was treated on the course of opioid addiction course. You know, I mean, because of my symptoms, which was extreme neuropathic pain and uh, in various places in my body, you know, doctors only had one mantra back then. And that mantra lasted for 20 years and it still lasts till today. I mean, most people think that, you know, if you, you, you ask the general public, they think that the opioid crisis is over. They're full of crap. The opioid crisis is still in full swing. There are still people ODing all over America today because of their opioid addiction. Now they're having a harder time getting it, but they're stealing it out of people's, you know, bathroom medicine cabinets. And they're, they're still doctor shopping in different areas of the company, country that they can get away with it at. Um, but, you know, we still have doctors who still believe that opioids were the answer to pain. And back when I was first diagnosed, that's what my doctor seemed to think. But then I had a doctor who was smart enough to say, you know, look, dude, if you stay on this opioid track that you're on, you're going to end up shutting down your kidneys, your liver. You know, you've already almost shut down your entire intestinal tract. So you need to knock this off and uh, recommended to me, and, but would not go on record of saying it. But he recommended to me back in 2001, 2000, really, that, you know, look, I heard about this stuff that's... Uh, called uh, marijuana and there's one particular type of it this is back in 2001 he was trying to come up with the name you know um uh cbd and didn't even know what he was saying but he said i heard about this you have to do some research to try to figure it out and so back in 2001 i started searching for and was able to find some you know uh heavily laden plants that were cbd rich that some of the growers were trying to get rid of Wow. And if you remember, most people in this country don't even know this, that during the early 60s and the 70s and the 80s, most of our growers up in Humboldt County were trying to grow the CBD out of the plant, mm. not recognizing its efficaciousness and not even recognizing the fact that the medication that they were growing uh, was uh, more valuable with a full spectrum entourage effect. So we were trying to see if we could, and like they're still trying to do today, try to see if they could grow the highest level of THC that they can not even understanding that, you know, the levels of THC that we're hitting right now aren't really that viable and aren't really that useful to anybody. 
Yeah. So, you know, we should literally be looking at a broader spectrum and looking at, you know, a terpene rich flavonoid rich plant that can have a broader spectrum that we can actually mix and mingle some of these, these, you know, cultivars together to elicit the response that we want. And so my journey took me uh, in search of CBD rich plants back in 2001, 2002. And when I started getting the relief that I was able to achieve, I really felt it almost criminal to not want to share that relief with others. And so that's why I started my advocacy back in 2001. And literally I work with both DPA, MPP, anybody who would listen to get the word out that, you know, we need to make medicine available to those patients out there that are in dire need. And so I started campaigning, you know, back in 2001, two, three, four, five. I went to Israel back in 2011 and sat in the, in Dr. Mishulam's office in Israel. And literally I was one of the only people back then who had interviewed him on camera and talked to him at great length about, you know, the research that they were doing in Israel back before we even caught, began to think about this here. Wow. Yeah. The, and Israel has been way ahead of the, the curve on the research for this. So you were. A lot of people don't know that Israel's only been way ahead of the curve because of U.S. government funding. Uh-huh. Your taxpayer dollars that were being filtered into Israel back in you know the 80s and the 90s mm-hmm. uh, helped the U.S. government you know, form its own application for and grant itself its own patent on cannabinoids. So a lot of people don't even take the time to study even in the last 20 years of cannabis. You know, one of the things you had said that, you know, it's a plant that's been vilified for so much. Well, it's only been vilified in the United States of America for the last hundred years. But before that, this is a plant that was literally what helped build America. You know, mm-hmm. most people don't do their research, do something that people that are watching us today should really dig in and do some research and recognize the fact that, you know, our forefathers, all of them grew hemp. You know, when this country was founded, it was mandatory by law to grow hemp. You know, everything that we consumed, I mean, we, we, we ate a porridge of hemp because back in the late 1600s, you know, people recognized that the hemp plant was one of the highest protein laden plants on the planet. Uh, you know, people don't know and don't remember that the entire Revolutionary Army was clothed in hemp uniforms. Wow. You know, all of our tents, all of our sails, all of our ropes that were made uh, back in the 1600s, 1700s, 1800s, all came from hemp. The word canvas comes from cannabis. You know, so, you know, the clothing, uh, if, you, if you were to look at newspapers that were written in the late 1800s after the Civil War, you know, there are ads for and the classifieds are probably hundreds of ads in every newspaper talking about, you know, cannabis-based tinctures that were helping to alleviate pain and stress and PTSD from the Civil War. You know, it wasn't until 1937 that we outlawed cannabis, and the guy who outlawed cannabis was a proponent of cannabis before he got on a stick knowing that he was about to lose his job. And I'm talking about An- Anslinger. You know, most people don't even know that, you know, when he was running around as a prohibitionist against alcohol, he was touting the benefits of cannabis being a nonviolent drug and alternative to alcohol. Come wow. on. Yeah. It's, it's like, it, you know, I keep going back to it. It seems like the biggest no brainer in the history of no brainers. And, you know, we're just slowly moving along towards it. Um, I'm glad you brought up though, the, um, the cannabinoids, the terpenes, the uh, you know, we're really just starting to understand um, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, Lentive Labs and what, uh, what, what's your goal there and, and what you guys are looking to do? 
tried, I had already, you know, this is long before again, you know, I'm telling you almost nine years ago, you know, when we started Lenative, um, Lenative Scientific, I wanted to literally put a brand in the marketplace. And so I reached out to a partner and formed a partnership with one of the bigger uh, cannabis production companies in this country. And I was a partner and not a, a licensed, uh, 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 didn't do it as a, you know, some sort of a, just a license deal. Um, and I started creating products back about nine years ago that were products that were formulations of multiple cannabinoids rather than just trying to put out a product of one. So, um, you know, I have been, I'm pretty much a voracious reader and have a voracious appetite for as much knowledge as I can gain. Um, so years ago, I started putting together formulations of both CBD and THC together in, you know, carts that would be vaporable carts and adding a terpene formulation to that uh, long before this has now become the Vogue way that people are starting to look at it. Right. Um, I went through a process of putting my own product in the marketplace um, and that contract ran out. So I'm now very close to forming another partnership with another company here uh, that'll be our contract manufacturer and we'll have my products back in the marketplace very soon. Um, and they are products that are based more on their effect and though it's anecdotal, we will be doing some studies with, you know, some peer reviewed and some focus group studies and some, you know, double blind studied, uh, double blinded studies, looking at the effects of what we're getting from a formulation. So as I believe in the full, as, as Dr. Mishum first identified it, when he identified our endocannabinoid system and the receptors that actually literally receive uh, or antagonized by cannabinoids, um, you know, I, I want to be able to produce a product that I know is going to elicit the respect, the effect that I put on the label. And so, you know, um, I think it's extremely important that we get off this stick that we've been on, you know, for the last 10 years, uh, falsely identifying cultivars as, you know, um, a sativa or indica, falsely, uh, you know, identifying cultivars as hybrids. You know, there isn't anything that's out there right now that isn't a hybrid of some sort. Uh, you know, if we go back to the original, if you think that science is correct, that there was probably either five or seven original plants, you know, 5,000 years ago, those plants have all now been interbred, bred, 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 bred. That's sort of the same way as the rose has gone from just red to pink to blue to green to black. You know, sure. I mean, you know, we've done this to the, the cannabis plant over the course of the last couple thousand years. So... You know, are there truly, truly indicas out there anymore? Are there truly, truly sativas out there anymore? Are there truly, truly hybrids out there anymore? I think they're all pretty much a hybrid of some sort. Mm -hmm. Now it's a matter of taking advantage of not just the cannabinoids that we're starting to identify, which we know that, you know, some research claims that there's well over 160 of them right now. There are probably somewhere between, you know, I don't know, 10 to 20 different terpenes that we can truly identify that have already been researched for the last 20 years. Researched because those, those terpenes have researched in other plants uh, where they exist. And so we know some of their beneficial effects. And then we're starting to realize that the flavonoids have effect. And, you know, uh, when we put out a product, should we just be putting out a product that only focuses on one 
or should we focus on the many? Um, you know, I mean, I, I think there was a while there where, yeah, there were people who were trying to, you know, figure out how, you know, they could get we as high as we could get. But I believe that the majority of those consumers that are out there right now are looking for an experience to help them settle whatever their needs are. Even those that are coming to the table because they think of adult use, I believe that there's nobody that steps up to the table and uses cannabis unless they have some pre-existing medical condition that they may not even admit they have. Right. If you're using it for relaxation, that's a medical reason. Mm -hmm. Using it to you know, uh, calm down from a busy day at work, that's a medical reason. So you know, why not provide a product that will help the patient achieve the results that they want to achieve rather than us shove something down their throat that's just so inundating that, you know, you end up, you know, spending three or four hours on your couch and that's not what you wanted to do to begin with. So uh, again, the question was, what am I doing with Lenative? So we're about to, you know, get our products back out into the marketplace. I'm really excited about it. I've just had a couple of meetings this, this week and we'll be going back into the lab uh, personally, myself. And like I did the first go around, I was in the lab myself. I helped formulate every product that we put out and I will help formulate every product that I'm about to put back in the marketplace now. Those will be both CBD and THC products as we move forward. And um, hopefully my CBD products will be back and available uh, nationwide. And, you know, I've, I've literally, you know, just like you have this podcast, I have a podcast that's called Let's Be Blunt with Montel, where I have been in the a, a very fortunate to be able to interview some of the, you know, I, I'm telling you the industry leaders, front runners, forward thinkers in this industry. I've had them on and had a chance to talk to them in a way that they've been giving, you know, a lot of information out to our listeners and viewers. I mean, you know, um, recently I've had people on from like uh, Bonnie Goldstein to, you know, uh, uh, Mr. Hegden who wrote the book, you know, the, the, Cornbread Mafia, which a lot of people in the country don't know about. I was really kind of shocked when I started digging deep into who the Cornbread Mafia was and where that story came from and didn't recognize this was something that I didn't know and was very excited to get the information about it. So, you know, I've been, been, been really digging deep and trying my best to make sure that, you know, um, I provide as much education as I can in this space. I love it. Is that is that one of your favorite parts of the industry? Is getting to talk to the uh, the people on your uh, your podcast? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I'll give you an example. I mean, recently I, I spoke to Mr. Jim Higdon, and actually wrote the book, The Cornbread Mafia. I've had the opportunity to speak to Dr. Sally McKenzie, who is a GMO scientist uh, at Penn State University. I was able to talk to Dr. Michelle Weiner, who is considered you know the Florida doctor, the Florida cannabis doctor. Of note, I've also talked to Mr. Max Montrose, who you know runs the Tricom Institute. I think you probably know who they are, and you know uh, also Nathaniel Pennington, who has the uh, Humboldt Seed Company. Um, and in addition to you know, I've been talking. I've talked to Stevie D, and and um, you know the people who are running the um, uh, you know the last prison project, prison project, and you know the gamut goes from them to Dr. Sanjay Gupta and Dr. Oz. So if you went up and found. Let's be blunt with Montel on Facebook or, you know, on iTunes. I'm available on all of the outlets for uh, podcasts. Um, you can look back. We've done probably all over a hundred of them now. And, um, you know, there's, there's something in there for everyone. Well, I really appreciate you taking some time to talk to us. You truly are an OG, you know, uh, innovator from the very beginning. And I love the fact that you are so curious about the technology 
and, you know, really, really just communicating with the public so that we can learn more and help destigmatize. It's, it's, a, it's a fascinating time. Are you overall, are you pretty optimistic about the direction this is all going? I'm going to tell you, I, I'm, I'm never pessimistic about anything, okay. but I am going to tell you, I'm about 50-50 right now on where the industry is going. We are at a juncture and a very critical juncture um, that a lot of people I don't think are recognizing because again, from the B2B standpoint, everybody's trying to figure out how they can go out and get funding from this source or that source, but they're looking to sources that have historically hated cannabis. And that's really bugs me. You know, how dare you reach out to a pharmaceutical company who said 10 years ago that anybody who was involved in the cannabis industry are kooks and crazy and freaks. And now you want to take their money and let them take your company over to now start providing a product that they don't believe in to the public. This, something's wrong here. You know, the whole mentality is bothering me a little bit. So I would, I would hope that we, you know, I don't know. Uh, there, I, I am heartened by the fact that there are so many who are trying to do the right thing, mm -hmm. but I am disappointed in so many who don't give a damn whether or not they do the right thing or not. They just make a buck. And, and, you know, we know that in the capitalist society that money wins and I'm afraid that those will be the winners. And so, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, we can entice and excite more and more of those people who, you know, are in this for the right reason. You know, remember, this is an industry that is as infantile as the Wright brothers pushing a wooden plane down a hill. So we haven't started to scratch the surface. So if you build it, the money will come. But let's make sure we build it right. Yeah. It's our sandbox and we know, we know who's coming. We know who's going to move into this direction. We got to try to protect this house, you know? No question. We know who's coming. You know yeah. that I'm writing on the wall. You can't get away from it. So uh, let's start. All is coming from in the house. <laughs> it's Absolutely. Like, you know. Absolutely. You know who's coming. And so, you know, I, I often think of, I can remember 12 years ago, literally having conversations with some huge representatives of huge pharmaceutical companies who literally out of their mouth wouldn't hesitate to call this a joke to say that this is just, you know, misled and, and misinformation. And yet those same companies are now trying to fund and buy out cannabis companies because they want to be the forerunners of taking advantage of this vertical. Yeah. And to them, they only look at it as a vertical. They don't look at it as something to protect, something to nurture, something to find out the best way that they can do. And, you know, I, I, I'm so excited about, you know, organizations like yours that are at least, you know, keeping and reminding us to, to stay the course and reminding us to stay focused. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Montel. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, you're, you're, we're huge fans of all of your work. We've got Lenative Labs. We've got Montel by Select. And of course, everybody that's watching, make sure the podcast, we got to talk about the podcast. Let's be blunt. Um, and anything else uh, you want to give a shout out to? Well, I got to let you know that Montel by Select does no longer exist. And okay. even Select has been in some ways trying their best to still live off of my back. Um, <laughs> That relationship is over and has been over for now quite a while. Okay. 
I know in some places out in California and Oregon, there are some people who are still selling some products under that name. Um, you know, I'm not going to knock them, go right ahead uh, until it's all gone. But um, I'm about ready to, and within the next month or so, we'll be making a very, very major announcement um, about who we're parting up with and who our new product manufacturer is going to be. And um, I'm excited about getting the products back out in the marketplace, without a doubt. Well, we'll be excited to share it out when the real products come. And again, thank you very much for your time. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Sure, absolutely. And they can always find me, you know, again, Let's Be Bought Montel, Facebook, iTunes, or any place that you get the podcast. You are the man. Thanks. Thank you very much. You have a great day. Stay safe. All right, you too. Well, for sure. In this industry, no two businesses are the same. Even so, common threads do exist, and printing on demand is nearly always one of them. Loda Enterprises can help. Loda has over 30 years of experience in on-demand printing. Whether you need to print full-color primary display labels, lab results, or simply mark the plants you grow, Loda can show you how. Call us at 800-654-5331 or visit www.loda.com to learn how Loda can help you implement your unique vision successfully.